This is So Far So Rare, a podcast about all things so rare. This week, I spoke with Fantasy Gaffer, aka John, and it seemed like a bit of a quieter week on So Rare. There weren't many announcements, but we really delved into the return of all the European football, how exciting that is, and how much of a headache it is for making teams. We had a look at the scaling and its potential issues and considerations going forward, and we also talked about uh, one of the questions from our listeners, which was about gambling and So Rare. Uh, it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hello, John, a.k.a. Fantasy Gaffer. How are you today? I am well, John. Thank you for having me. I joked uh, in my newsletter that people could tune in just to hear us say uh, congenially to each other, oh, John, it's a very good point, and uh, <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> John, you're so smart. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> but, John, look, you've been on, I had a bit of a creep. You've been on So Rare since, I think it's about January the 25th, so... That I think I assume unless there's another fantasy gaffer who's robbed your name on so rare, you are fantasy gaffer FC. So you've been on, you got on just about pre boom, maybe two three weeks ahead of it. How have you found it since? I you know that's a. It's I didn't realize how much I appreciated getting on pre boom uh, until I started looking at the prices I had paid for some of my players who are finally coming back into to action. So like Matias Perez Garcia, who I bought for like. Uh, dot oh oh nine ETH back yeah, in January. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's a $17 card, you know, because I use fiat for pretty much everything. I mean, you know that, but uh, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore, man. You can't go out and get a guy who's going to start, let alone a guy who's going to score you 55. Yeah, I think he scored me 82 points uh, last week. He's the, he's what put me over the, the 250 threshold in the GASD4. So... I've- You've just made me think I want to go back and look and see what I paid for some people just to make people listening sick. Dear God, I paid 27 euros for Peter Zielinski. That's mad, isn't it? That is. You know, I had a Zielinski too. He was one of the first cards I bought. I think it might have been one of the first cards I bought because I saw him in your gallery. And then uh, (laughs) two weeks later, somebody came in and offered me like 30% more for him. And I just sold him because at that point, I mean, I was... I, I didn't have any Ethereum before I joined SoRare, so I wasn't, you know, carting over any kind of crypto. And just getting any, at that particular time in particular, um, or that point in history in particular, just having an ETH balance was so important to my being mm-hmm. able to fully experience the game because um, the slowness of the credit card transactions, the fact that they were billing your credit card transaction for every single bid, um, the first time my partner, she saw my uh, my credit card statement and had like uh, 150 <laughs> so rare charges on it because they had the auctions hadn't closed. Uh, you know, man, it, it was stuff like that. But uh, no, it's been good. How's it? How's it been for you dealing with people like me coming on just pre boom and like not? I guess maybe like we didn't have the grounding in old so rare. So this is kind of really the only world we've known. We got in just early enough to gripe that the uh, the kids are ruining it. Yeah, I think I, I think it's been amazing for like everyone who was on from I don't know January or before has to be happy with how the last six months has gone. 
you know, there obviously was that mad period in March where the prices were much higher than they were now, and obviously things have come way down since then. But they're still much higher than they were when we first got on. Like, I have a bunch of other players there who just have the old blue transfer arrow, so God knows what I got Bodart for or Koulibaly, but, like, I got Trippier for, like, 30 quid, Nubel for, like, 75 <laughs> quid. You know, and it goes on and on and on. But you can see where I really ramped up, at least with the cards left from my gallery rolls around February, because I think it was then I realised the actual potential of this. I think I did know the potential, but I think whenever all the hype started happening, I was like, oh God, I thought this would take like five years. This could take two years, do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I've I've had an absolute ball. I think it's funny because I don't think there's any real experts in it. It's around so It's been around for so short a time, realistically, and it's so ever-changing that while there are relative experts, there's no actual experts, does that make sense? Every, yeah. like, there are people who are relatively an expert to the, the new sign-up, but in terms of like having played something, your 10,000 hours or whatever way you want to you wanna calculate what an expert is, I feel like we're all still learning. Like I've been on the platform, I make YouTube content, I make a podcast. A lot of people see me as someone who's an early adopter. Mm-hmm. I see Quinny Hybe, yeah. I'll Never Walk Alone, et cetera, et cetera, black and all, as early adopters. And I haven't even seen a summer transfer window before this one. So I'm yeah. learning. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? So Absolutely. it's like this summer's been mad. I got burned by that already, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like I've had players who've had uh, very good moves. I've had players who have had absolute shocking moves. I've had players who have had meh moves. But all in all, when I was trying to build for next season and I was buying players thinking, oh, he'd be great in my under-23 chat or my under 23 um d3 team d2 team like arthur theate super rare now he's off to i don't even know where he's off to i keep forgetting he's off to like bologna or something or cologne or i don't even know but like he won't be as nailed a starter and he won't be as strong a player as he was in belgium so it's like i've had loads of little things like this have happened and i am finding myself scrambling to get the structure back do you know to actually compete i just feel all over the place i feel like well, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people who would look at my gallery and be like, "Holy shit, that's that's that's." I'd love to be building teams with that. I'll take it's your great. gallery anytime yeah, you need but to. But I you have management. You let me know. You can come hire me. I'll manage. I have so many fucking duds, you know, guys who I don't know if they're going to play. Who could be great? I'm just looking forward to about one month from now where I can build a team with confidence. I think next week is going to be sick number DMPs. I agree. You know, especially with and. And this has been a weird year for everyone anyway. None of us, really, 90% of the users on the platform have never seen SoRare operate without all the COVID restrictions in place. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a world at some point in the future where international travel is normalized again, where um, there isn't isolation, where there isn't quarantine. And you can see a player leave for AFCON, go away for a month come back on a Thursday and be right back on the pitch on Saturday for their club side in England or, or Spain or wherever it is. And when we get back to that, um, I think I think the game's going to be a lot less frustrating because <laughs> DMPs are, are killing us right now. Um, but, I mean, you also are all over the place because you're all over the place. Like, I only play <laughs> I only play D3 and D4 tournaments. Like, that's where my budget is. Like, that's where I'm, I'm trying to build out, like, the content that I do is – you know, there are certainly people um, that play D1 and D2 that follow along, that subscribe or have signed up. Like, But I'm really trying to help people get integrated to be able to make moves at everywhere from like a 0.05 or lower purchase all the way up to 
um, you know, basically two ETH is about where I cap it. Uh, if I think a card is going to sell for more than two ETH, like I'll talk about it, but I have mm -hmm. no reasonable expectation that I'm setting the appropriate value, you know, because mm. I don't know where it is. And like, so if you're playing across all of those things, you have to have a very different mindset from a strategy perspective, right? I mean, for you, I would imagine it's nice to hit that uh, 250 points in D4 and, and collect a little bit of extra Ethereum. But I've even seen where, you know, that, 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 that can't, from your perspective, that can't enter into your thought process. You have to be ranking your SO5 lineups based on overall player pools and then prioritizing mm -hmm. them based on where you think you're going to have the few, you know, the fewer entries and, and need those higher point totals. Like, yeah. So I think from a strategy perspective, you're, you're in a very different world as well. Yeah. Cause I think like the last two weeks that Belgians were back, I've stuck a big brew stack into challenger. Now one week I want to do it. DeWitt, DeWitt, um, the uh, Alkmaar player, Danny DeWitt. I won him uh, the first week. Last week it came up, it was a dud. But both weeks, I think, had that been in Global All-Star, I don't know if it was both weeks, let me check, I would definitely have picked up an ETH threshold. Um, I would have just missed the second. I would have made like 0 0.03 in ETH. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, it makes sense because I got the card and whatever. But like last week, had I went for Global All Star D four as opposed to Challenger, I would have won something. This week, I didn't, and I find it very hard because I my gallery was in a very different place when the last season finished. I've yeah. put significant investment in since then. I think around mid mid June, I went in a bit of a super rare binge, and I probably. I, the numbers, I mean, it's transparent, everyone can see. You've got to be looking at about 20k, no, maybe not 15k, something like that. I dropped in it, uh, I got very excited. I just said I need to do it, but I haven't actually had a gallery where it's feasible to be competing across multiple D3s each week. I haven't had a gallery where I have to really like juggle things about my, my lineup building videos on YouTube. They're an absolute headache. Well, they're a headache right. is what they are. They're great for people to watch me squirm. They're, they're yeah, good I love them. I love yeah. watching those. <laughs> <laughs> people love watching me die, but I'm telling you now, I used to like squirm for 20 minutes. I'm, I'm thinking of recording one afterward on this, and I'm probably going to be sitting squirming for 40 minutes, but that's just not good YouTube content. But like trying to actually build D3s, D4s, contemplate a D2, prioritizing regions. I love under 23s. I have a lot of under 23s. But even this week, for example, I have like De Kettler and Lang at Bruges, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, are they will be, I, I, they're only, they're against Circle Bruges this week. So I think they're going to have an amazing game week. Yeah. But like, should I keep them in a stack with Vanekin and like Clinton Mata and go Challenger or All-Star? Or should I put them in my under 23s, stick them with the super rare Jonathan David, pick a decent defender, stick a goalkeeper? Like, it's just, I'm already like squirming over the thought of it. Like, I do not know how, what, what to do. So look, bottom line is, I think the next couple of weeks, if I win anything, I'll be over the moon. But I think for me, once the like, top five European leagues are back a few leagues under the belt or a few matches under the belt in the other leagues yeah um, we'll really be able to see what's going on and even like sorry I, I'm going off on one here <laughs> George Bello Efrain Alvarez a few of these guys I, I got them in a big swap deal with Pavel because I thought you know what I could do with some extra super air cover and these guys can score mm -hmm. but even like they're coming back from the gold cup and I'm like I don't know if they'll start this week so I can't I, I don't think they will so I can't put them in a lineup but then all of a sudden, got, they'll rock up. 
<laughs> well, you got to rate them too, right? Like some of those guys, some of the Mexico national team guys are going to go back to their MLS clubs. And some of them, right? Like if you're looking like Alan Polito, they played that final in Las Vegas. I made the joke that he could drive to LA and still make it yeah. in time for his Wednesday game with Sporting Kansas City or his Thursday game with Sporting Kansas City. But you have some players that are going to have to go back to Mexico. You don't know what the travel restriction is going to be if they're going to play in a Liga MX match. You have some players that are going back to other leagues as well, right? Either back to Brazil or, or to Europe. Um, but then the U.S. guys won and they're in Vegas. And like, if you just won the Gold Cup and you're 22 years old, like, do you, do you John Nellis, want to start... <laughs> A player coming off of, I just won the first major international trophy of my uh, nascent (laughs) international (laughs) career in one of the most party centralized locations on on the globe. So, I mean, like, man, part of me is just like, I'm not touching any of those guys until I see them back. (laughs) Until I see an STD test, (laughs) until they stick that STD test on the table and it's clear. Never mind COVID, never mind just a a hangover. These guys are going to be riddled out in Vegas after winning the Gold Cup. You've made so the decision. I, there's there's a ton of that, right? And, you know, I mean, you're right, too. Like, the DMPs are everywhere. Um, it's, it's frustrating to me. And you know this, but people hearing my voice who don't read my stuff might not. Like, I love anything that SoRare does that helps make the game more accessible to more people, that gives a, more managers a broader chance to win. Um, and a lot of times that can backfire because people that have very deep galleries are also eligible to play in most or all tournaments. And so they kind of get that inherent advantage of just, you have more players, you can play more places and that's fine. Um, but I'm curious to see if, if so rare will ever, uh, allow managers to name a substitute to help combat the DNP because it is incredibly frustrating to your point, right? You sweat bullets for 45 minutes or an hour over a lineup and three out of your four player, three out of your five players or four out of your five players post scores of 60 or higher. And you're feeling really good. And then you get that one DMP and you go from possibly being in the top 10 or top 25 of your division or top five or top seven, if you're playing in one or two to outside the cards, outside the money, outside Mm -hmm. everything. And it feels like it feels to me like those lows are much deeper than the highs of even winning, um, you know, like a, a tier one or, or higher card. And I wonder if they're going to do anything to combat that or if, you know, the concern is just, well, obviously people with more cards would, would always win then because they'd have the opportunity to um, utilize that feature better. But like, Yeah, I know what you mean. It's frustrating, though, the DMPs. Like, it really, really is. And we've seen a lot of them, particularly with the matches being canceled. Um, it's like Gamba Osaka over in J-League. Right now, there's not, there haven't been a lot of J-League matches going on, but Gamba's been playing, like, every three days because they had played five fewer matches than everyone else in the table. Oh, uh, yeah. So, like, you know, if you happen to have hold on to, and I, I sold mine, but um, their starting goalkeeper is uh, Higashiguchi he's just been starting. Like he's just a regular goalkeeper that you can run out there midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend for, you know, two or three weeks um, on the trot. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the, that's a conversation we could have. Like I'm mean, kind of touched <laughs> on it there. It's the DMPs and it's the substitutes. Yeah. Like, do you like the idea of substitutes? And I mean, I think there are, there's big positives for it, but there's also negatives. I, I don't, I can't see them implementing it. Um, 
I'm trying to think of the considerations. Like, obviously, bigger galleries. Like, a lot of people who come in, their main focus is using a common goalkeeper and buying four rares, and that is them really stretching. But I think once the new scarcity comes in, the one of a thousand, you know, wherever you are, like, if you, if you can't afford to buy five rares, six rares, seven rares to have subs, you'll always have the division lower to go into. I think the accessibility of these new cards is going to be amazing and it opens the doors to a lot of different things um would you in a nutshell would you like subs i would really like subs at the with whatever new tournament they open if they open division five or whatever it is because i think that dmps the just like the psychological thing of like why am i putting my time and my money into this game and then it's luck right mm. and maybe it's just one you can name instead of an so5 it's an so5 plus one and you can name any player, right? You, so, and they would have to maybe, and they would have to fit. So, you know, I mean, it's like, it's another layer of complexity. It's another layer of rules. Do you really want to add that on? You well, know? that's the thing. Cause people will be sticking in a forward sub hoping their defender doesn't play. But if you make it so that you can't, cause then you could have three forwards, a midfielder and a keeper, do you know, yep. if you could purposely put in a DMP defender, or do you leave that sub as an opportunity to, this week, for example, I'm not sure if, let's say, George Bellow is going to play. So it means I can play George Bellow, but stick in a defender sub. But that means if my forward doesn't play, you're shafted. It kind of gives you one extra level of cover. Um, but but I think that what that would do, what I'm talking about there, is that's less about protecting you against a sickening DMP. And that's more about letting you chance your arm at the player you're unsure about. Does that make sense? So It does, yeah. I don't know. Uh, to be honest, do you know what the thing about this is, John? I'll be quite honest. I actually just don't think I give a fuck. <laughs> I mean that like I it does not keep me up at night. I have no strong opinions on whether there are or aren't subs. I like the game how it is. I'm not I don't care if they change it. If they change it, I'm not gonna be like, oh my god, I can't believe subs are happening. I have such an edge because I research lineups and you've taken that edge away because now any dickhead can just stick in a sick player. I'm not that guy, but I do appreciate that those people are out there and you don't really want to piss them off by changing the game. I don't think there's any real complaints about the game. I don't think the sub issue is brought up as often as it could be. So maybe it's best just left untouched, but it's entirely possible, but you've been on, so you've been on longer than I have by about six months and you know, you wouldn't say that you're an early adopter, but certainly earlier than I am. And there are changes that the platform's already undergone, which have impacted the fantasy side, hasn't impacted the collectability side as far as I can Mm. tell. But when you change your scoring matrix, you're yeah. fundamentally changing what a player's value is in the market for those of us that are buying them to compete on platform, which I would I think Nicholas has come out and said this. I think Carl's come out and said, said this in, in various um, places, either AMAs or, or in posts. But, you know, that is still the majority of people. The majority of people that are joining SoRare are using fiat currency, not um, porting over crypto from other places. And so... They, they are focusing, I would hope, on how they are stabilizing, enhancing and stabilizing the fantasy side of the game. Uh, because you can't, I, I talk about Kim Taekwon a lot in, uh, for the Suwon Blue Wings. Like the man loses 30 points a week between uh, lost duels and lost possession. So like he could have an absolute scorcher. He could go out and you know, do everything except get an assist so that his decisive doesn't change and still walk away with like 22 points. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, or, you know, in, in the MLS, right? Like someone like a Brooks Lennon, 
You know, I mean, his job is essentially to lose possession half the time for Atlanta United. I mean, he's going to go down that wing and create those chances. Um, so, like, those things, those things are probably more pressing than DMPs, but I see it as all part of the same ecosystem. Like, you want to be able to onboard new managers. Like, one of a thousand might help with that as well. You want to make sure that they're having a positive experience and they want to maintain being part of the community. And you hopefully are integrating them into eventually playing in D4, D3, D2, maybe even D1 tournaments, depending on how far they choose to progress their SoRare journey. Um, and it doesn't seem like that's, that there are many examples of that happening yet. Maybe I'm wrong. You've, you talk to more people in this tier than I do, but it seems like most of the managers that participate in D1 and D2 come in with the bankrolls, either from a different platform where they cashed out, from the physical media, you know, they, they used to collect actual cards and now they're collecting here. And very few came in and said, my initial starting budget is one ETH. I'm going to put up the 1,200 or 1,400 pounds mm. to buy that one ETH. And now a year later, I have a gallery that's worth 25 ETH and I'm playing it, it division one and competing well. I don't know of any stories like that yet, but I think 10 years from now, the, the landscape at Sora is going to be replete with people like that, people that came in and were those success stories. I think that's a nice point, yeah. I think we just haven't had the time. Yeah. Because like, I think there was there was a couple of issues. So when I first came in, and up until recently, I think with the special weeklies, there's much more super rares up for grabs. Maybe in D3, there's a few up for grabs. I, can't, I, I don't even know. But bottom line is, I used to kind of have my complaint was that they talk about progression. They talked about progression. Yet in D4, I, I felt like not being able to win a super rare, even I'm talking first place should even just be able to win a super rare yep. so that over time, if you podium a few times, if you win a couple of D4 tournaments, you will have your two super rares to progress to D3 and all star. And then from there, over time, you can you have a higher chance of picking up a couple more super rares to progress into D2. Once you're in D2, maybe top place in D2 should get a unique because you cannot progress up divisions if the division you're in does not give you the cards that will enable you to progress so it was just stupid you know it it didn't make sense whereas now i think with the special weekly people being able to enter their commons in there and really compete and get super rares it does allow that progression but the thing is you need i talked about this recently you either need a lot of time a lot of research and you really well you need a lot of time actual real time like years of chirp, chipping away being a really good fantasy manager great strategy good purchases good trading you would need years in my opinion without mad luck and winning an Mbappe or something but you would need mm -hmm. years to really progress to D2 never mind D1 yep. like getting five uniques Jesus Christ John I nearly have a hundred grand on the thing and I don't have a unique <laughs> do you know what I mean you're going to need a lot of time or you need to be Mr. Moneybags and rock up and just buy it all so like you're right. I think long term for so rare, there will be loads of those stories. I hope. Um, I really do think there can be over time because there's a lot of people who live and breathe this, and the amount of time they put in will be rewarded. But it's the amount but of time they put in right now. The time you need. So for week, you know, whatever the upcoming, whatever the upcoming week is, and like <laughs> one ninety something, <laughs> one ninety is our idea. upcoming match week. And uh, you know, if you finish first in Global All Star D four you do get a super, a star rare, right? Yeah. But to your point, people would, to progress, we would likely be better off if they didn't offer a star rare there and offered a tier one or, you know, even a, you know. Even a I tier guess, two super rare. Yeah, 
super rare. Exactly. And in terms of the value, or excuse me, in terms of the um, the chance of getting, you know, a card like an Mbappe or a Neymar or something, I understand. And that, that people really want to look at those pools and they want to dream big on that. And then I guess the argument is you could sell that and fund the move. But that's not really what you and I are talking about. You and I are talking about like, if you do well, just like managing a real football club, you get greater resources, you get better players who are capable of playing at a higher level and you move up divisions and eventually you compete at the top division. I would love for so rare to be able to replicate that kind of environment because that's, that's part of what is drawing me and it makes it so engaging as a platform for me. Yeah, no, I think, I think I th the progression bar, which will come, I think it'll address a lot of that. And I'm hoping that it'll definitely help people progress from wherever D5, D6 at the time you'd like to think to D4, D3. I, th I think D1 is such a monopoly at the minute. It's very, very hard to get involved there and really compete. It's, it's, it's impossible really without honestly, like tens, if not hundreds of thousands to actually go in and be able to compete. Mm -hmm. you, obviously there's the occasional lucky week there, but I mean, these guys have the unique Mbappe's, Bruno's, KDB's, or maybe not yet, but you know what I mean? Like all mm -hmm. these ridiculous scores to go in there and compete with tier two, tier three uniques. Like you need a freak week to have a chance, do you know? So That's I think, the, yeah, yeah, go ahead. But so I think D one in many ways is almost sealed off. I think I think anyone really hoping to progress without <clears throat> a war test and compete in D one, you're dreaming. Like I just don't think. Like I don't think I'll ever compete in D one. I really do not think I will ever compete in D one. But I do think that over time I'll be able to put out a couple of D twos, a few D twos. Do you know? Yeah. Um that's nothing there's nothing wrong with that either though but i yeah. mean to your point the monopoly really extends beyond those top players and there's an incentive for those early adopters and particularly people who invested in crypto early particularly in ethereum early to also buy up the supply of uniques that do not currently have that tier that should be that <clears throat> division one value and one of the very um one of the things that could be done by the platform is they could take all of those lower level uniques, right? And mm. make them more widely available in, you know, division three, for example, where mm. you're not talking about a player that has a ton of value right now. Uh, you know, pick like a, an 18 year old forward in, in Belgium or something, you know, a player who in three or four years, if you're still on the platform, absolutely could have evolved into a starter and give you a chance. But those players are still being bought. Those cards are still being bought by the same group of players right now because there's no value. Like I'm not bidding that card up to what its appropriate market value is because I don't know what it is. And also it has zero utility to me right now. Mm. Like, you know, I don't know. Utility, I feel like is utility is undervalued as a price driver um, right now. So um, we'll see if that shakes out with the one of a thousands. Yeah, I think we'll move on to the one of a thousands. Like, I think the one of a thousand, there's a lot that can come from that. Um, like, I'm, I'm buzzing for it. I, I actually listened back to my prediction video that I made, like, in February or March, and I did predict one of a thousand. I thought I'd said 500, so I'm over the moon. Um, well done. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I, it was such a hard thing to guess, you know, one, ten, a hundred. I mean... I'm a genius, really. If but, there's any pattern there, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, but like, are you are like? I assume you're pretty excited for the one of a thousands, particularly like with your rough strategy and the budget yeah. you play on, and and how you scout players and the types of players you look for. Will you be this this progress bar that's been mentioned? 
are you in the position where you'll have to make that call about D3 or the new cards or what What are your initial thoughts on that? Like, Yeah, it's going to depend on the way they choose to roll out the progression bar. And one way that has been hinted at, I think, by Carl is that the progression bar may actually offer the user the opportunity to select different outcomes. So if I can say... I'm, you know, I'm very early in my career and I want to be able to get a tier one rare card because that's really important to my growth. I can do that and my progression bar takes 10 steps or 12 weeks or whatever, whatever their targets are. But for someone like me, maybe they will provide an option that says I can win a tier two super rare, but it's going to take, they're up right, very upfront about it, it's going to take at least six months of earning rewards, you know, for, for an average user. I would absolutely select that. I mean, I'm in this for the long haul, and that's the kind of progression that I'd really like to see. Um, mm. So I'm hopeful, to your point, they'll kind of maybe um, build build into that progression bar the opportunity for me to address two problems at once. I'd like to move up divisions. I'd like to start building out a super rare gallery, and I'd like to be able to, you know, uh, utilize my time efficiently based on the direction that the platform wants to provide for that. Um, that automated experience, excuse me, that, uh, that interactive experience. I think this whole scaling solution, the, the ambition of the one of a thousands and everything that's coming, I think we could have a mad month or two ahead, you know, coming into the new season. Um, I, I, I don't know. When, when do you think they're going to roll these out? Do you think it'll be in, I would guess August. I so I was thinking September for the September. one of a thousands because, and I talked about this a little bit last week that, I am not a fan of how they are rolling out the quote unquote re-releases of the RPL clubs. And I understand they don't have licenses with all of the RPL clubs, um, but it's better for me when I'm scouting, but it's better I think for the market and for new players in particular for all the cards to get released at once, or at least in waves, not on a team by team basis when they're re-releases, when you know you have those deals. Mm. I'm looking at like MLSPA, J-League, K-League. That's how they did it, right? All the teams hit the market. That way I can scout across teams. I can make evaluations based yeah. on what I think are playing times. And I'm not locked into just buying one guy on one team for one price, right? That's a really inefficient market for me as a consumer. And so if, they're going to go that route i would like them to have all of their cards or all of their license deals lined up everything ready to go because if they release the one of a thousands on a team by team basis the way they just did the last two rpl clubs like uh, it's going to temper a lot of my enthusiasm yeah i think as well like i i much prefer like leagues being released i i'm a big big fan of that and i know maybe the there's an agreement in the contract with the clubs that the clubs want the hype and they want the artwork and they want the Krasnodar bit for the <laughs> bit of publicity, you know. But yep. realistically, I think, like, whenever the whole Eredivisie was thrown on at once, I loved it because it gave me an opportunity to go and do a bit of scouting. And mm -hmm. I whipped up so rare data and whatever else. Went digging about, picked a couple of players who I thought could score well, and I managed to get their two of 100, so I didn't go for the first because I'm not mad for really competitive <laughs> prices you know and then their 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 so5 scores were realized and they rose in price and it was great but if they had been released on a club by club basis all eyes would have been on the one two three top so5 performers in every team and then actually getting your guy is so much harder i think with the one of a thousands there you have to imagine their bundles there's no space in the market for that and will it be a separate tab on the market or something like it'll just be flooded won't it but if it i think it almost is going to have so they released um, contemporaneously with this episode coming out, you know, they released the news that they are 
created the weekend the the player filter for oh, yeah. cards that are in play this week, right? That's great. I've been asking for that for a little while. I'm very happy that that's there. It's a really nice thing for new managers in particular, but for someone like me who writes about this, someone like you that needs to be able to do videos about it, it's awesome to be able to just click that button and and see that. Um, I would not be surprised if it's a still a single market, but there is just a tab to toggle on or toggle off if you're seeing scarcities. So instead mm. of just having the drop down, maybe they just have a toggle. So like, do you want to see one of a thousands or not? Because if they bundle them, they're right back in that same problem in terms of the, the cost being the bar, right? And it's also very difficult to properly price those things. So if you're talking about like on a team by team basis, I understand why they do that. And they're making the collector argument around Liverpool, around the Italian clubs, you know, whatever it may be. If I am a new user and you've specifically created one of a thousand to appeal to me and I go to the market and I see that everyone's in a bundle of three, five or 10 cards, and then I have to scout each of the cards in that bundle, that's really time inefficient. But B, unless every one of those cards is a card that I would want to buy, I'm still better off waiting for another account to buy those, break them and put them up for sale individually mm. on the secondary market. So really what they'd be doing is they'd be depressing their their earnings and they would be creating a market for secondary sellers to come in and do box breaks. Essentially I'm buying 20 bundles today and I'm going to post them all up on the secondary market tomorrow. And here's my video on it. Um, but here's, and then what they'll do with that though, is they'll slap a commission on secondary market. They could. Sure. And there'll be thousands, there'll be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of transactions every week. And with the scaling solution and stable coin, all that fun it. stuff, they're going to be able to do that. So and I think slap you, and I are, on, you and I are right on this. <laughs> they slap on a few percent. They want you to buy the bundles of cards you don't want because they'll get the money when you buy it and then you'll ship it on to other people and you'll get another percentage. Dear Lord. It's entirely possible. I mean, look, they have they have 100% control of the supply. Um, they can certainly choose to do what they like with that. Uh, you know, there's this implicit agreement that they're always going to have a certain set of cards for <laughs> a certain set of cards for the prize pools. But as we've seen, they're perfectly willing to manipulate those prize pools and they have the capacity, the ability to manipulate those prize pools on um, on a dime. Right. Mm -hmm. A new card comes out. They can increase that by five or ten. You know, um, people complain that the DNPs are too large a percentage. They can turn that off. So they have these levers. They have these faucets. It's really about them finding the right balance. And the, I think you hit the nail, John, that the right balance is certainly going to involve some level of secondary market and turning SoRare into a secondary marketplace. And why not? I mean, enable mm -hmm. that ecosystem. I mean, that might be a, another path forward. I know if I had a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand extra dollars, and I saw that as a viable way forward, I'd absolutely take a shot at it and see, um, you know, what, what came from that. Jesus, my head's nearly broken trying <laughs> to think of all this. I was uh, Anyone who follows me on Twitter might know that I was away in a stag do for like four days there, and I'm just like back a shadow of myself. It's my first day. My social battery is depleted. My mind is just like not the right place and and here we are going through the depths john we're really getting <laughs> stuck into it now you're carrying me you but picked, um, the, you picked the wrong week for you to have me on but the right week for me to be on that's it yeah <laughs> something just we we talked about briefly and when we were chatting off air um some of the issues and considerations around scaling so we've talked a wee bit about the one of a thousand there what it could look like whatever else um in terms of so rare growing, in terms of one of a thousand cards, the scaling solution, the ability for thousands, if not millions of users to join the platform, 
what are some of the issues and considerations I suppose that you would that are in your mind about that yeah uh, it's a good question, John, and I, I probably should give people a little bit of background. So um, I co-founded a fantasy sports platform called Taga, which was a fantasy Premier League draft game. Uh, it existed for a little over four years. Uh, at our peak, we had over 200,000 registered users. Uh, we had a standalone app. We had two different uh, fantasy games that were being operated within that app. And so I have some experience with the scaling, um, not with the blockchain, not with the Ethereum, and, and not with that side of it. But in terms of managing a platform, <laughs> Like, I think a lot of the same issues are, are going to crop up. Um, you know, right now, if you're trying to handle whatever, 10,000 or 20,000 users, and you have a very small but active core community, you can handle that on Discord. You can handle that uh, over email. You can handle that in the comment section on a Reddit thread. But as you scale up, if they double the size in a day, What's their response time on concerns, on complaints? What's their um, you know, expected turnaround time on sales gone wrong, on wallet issues? You know, all of that stuff that is just like kind of grimy, but also uh, every one of those is an opportunity for a new user to have a negative experience and not want to come back to SoRare. Mm. Uh, like, I think you've had a fairly positive experience. I know I've had a very positive experience interacting with, um, with the SoRare team, but... If you go into any level of depth on Discord, of course, you're going to see a lot of disagreement about the way they publicize changes to game weeks, about the way they publicize changes to availability around scoring and what that means for their relationship with Opta and how they're going to offer things in the future. They've come out in the past. They've made announcements that they were going to be releasing new clubs. And then that's gotten pushed back a week because clubs are finicky and clubs have the mm. right to be finicky. And so rare in that relationship has to, of course, manage to the needs of the club so that we can continue to grow and have those on offer. But I mean, all of those are just, they're really big in aggregate. That's a lot of things to deal with. And individually, you need to have someone who's being attentive and you need to have an individualized scaling solution, each one of those things in order to be able to facilitate the growth of the whole. And so I'm, I'm curious, very curious to see how that happens. Um, I th I th this is kind of a, tangent but kind of related like even today for example i've seen a lot of concerns right is it game week 190s prize pools or like yeah. the like is it the portuguese guys games aren't involved um as i said i haven't actually really looked at this too much today but i've seen a bit of some posts on twitter and things and there's a lot of people kind of really questioned you know the the response time and how quickly people are getting back or how quickly we're getting answers it was kind of the same with the circle bruise game last week um that was postponed now albeit on a lot of these things are waiting on opta but like it yeah i, th I think it's tough whenever they've got so many people and they're finding it i don't know how quickly they're hiring do you know like, I don't know how quickly they're hiring. Getting people to relocate to Paris for a job in the middle of a pandemic isn't going to be easy. So nope. trying to get those those suitable, the right employees that the, the, and the job is right for those employees, trying to find those people to grow quick enough to deal with the one of a thousand scarcity that's imminent. Mm -hmm. Like, And they're not even marketing yet because they can't handle the, the and, influx and the of users. And the progression bar, right? I mean, they're going to fundamentally change the way that you as a player... At, a, at an introductory and possibly at an advanced level, interact with their product. They are going to get flooded with questions and concerns. Mm. They're going to get, how many hundreds of people are going to be like, I can't find the progression bar. I did this thing 
two minutes ago and I haven't gotten my rewards in the progression bar haven't updated. Like yeah. those questions, they're going to man, I, I do not envy that team because they're going to get a bunch of those. And anytime there's a, you know, a need for the back end to be down a little bit, anytime they're going to need to worry about working around like their scaling stuff, um, that there is necessarily uh, an information vacuum people aren't going to go and they're not going to read through every discord thread to try and find out that whichever match has been postponed or that, you know, from three to four forty-five, the servers are going to be down or whatever it is. And they're just going to fire off an email and they're just going to fire it's, off a tweet. It's what people do. I'm the worst yep. for it. Like I'll, I'll know that there's something I can find on the internet. I know I can click around a call, a call menu like zero, one, three, <laughs> five, eight, and finally you get your answer. But I just feel like talk to operator, talk to operator, because I just want to send them. I want, I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. I want someone to just tell me what to do. And you're right. There will be thousands of messages of can't find progress bar. Like I get them. I get people messaging me being like all those like ridiculous questions and I don't mind there's no such thing as a silly question but there is definitely such a thing as a lazy question and it's those lazy questions that that are going to kill them because people will just be like what da 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 and someone will have skipped their little intro bit to the progress bar you know and they'll get so many of them so yeah you're right there's so many things they need in place before they can actually scale and I suppose it's about trying to strike while the iron's hot too like you know so rare NFTs are on everyone's lips this summer mm-hmm and they have been this year what's to say that doesn't die off in october do you know it's about trying to strike while the iron's hot i i think like it'll come in peaks and waves i don't think this is going to just be smooth sailing exponential to the top i think there's going to be rocky patches um i am very optimistic about the next six months but you don't want to be held up by your infrastructure no you don't and i mean I'm, i'm very optimistic about it as well um and I mean, we don't have to go too far down this road, but like another thing that I, I think about is, you know, in those peaks and valleys, it, particularly if somebody comes in, if that one of a thousand scarcity lowers the cost, you know, you could have an influx of managers that come in that spend, let's say in fiat currency under a hundred pounds, under a hundred dollars US, maybe even under 200. They get disinterested. They're not really progressing the way they want. They've bought a few cards on the blockchain. They have an account on SoRare, it's maybe funded nominally. And then they just stop logging in. And now SoRare is responsible for managing or at least maintaining dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of accounts that are some level of abandoned, between dormant and abandoned. And how are they going to manage that? And what's that going to do to the experience? If what what do a, they need? Go ahead. Sorry, what do they even need to manage about that, though? Is your gallery not just essentially a wallet that just stays or is there like maintenance costs? Or like how, when you say maintain it, what do they need to do? Can you not have, in essence, an infant? infinite a number of i know it's not infinite but like millions whatever they've got of accounts that just sit there and that's no problem because there'll be collectors who want to come in they want to buy three players and they want to gary v do you know yep. there'll be right. gary v's like is there something like what's wrong with that from a so rare perspective is it the fact that those people aren't selling cards and then obviously those commissions are gone or is it there'll always be an active user base but surely those people who come in and buy cards i kind of want them to do that i want them to buy cards and piss off because then i'm not competing against their cards in so5 <laughs> Do you know, I love that you have the exact inverse opinion that I do because I'm like I want all those cards to be active because I want the pool to be as big as possible and I you know I want to be able to see. So I think there's a couple of um, I can't speak to the cost on the on what it costs to actually maintain it, but all my cards are maintained by SoRare. That means I have an account which is you know it's a security risk. 
they need to be maintaining it. You know, I have 2FA on mine. I'm assuming everybody has 2FA on there since that's a requirement now. But as you continue to grow, you know, you're continuing to expand on a, a possible growing security breach. You have this communication gap. And again, these are like really in the weeds thingies, John. So like, if you want me to tell me to shut up and move on, we can. But like, I just look at it like a year from now, you could have 10,000 dead accounts that have 100,000 blockchain cards sitting in them. Sora has to have a plan for managing that. We have to have a plan for communicating like around what that is. And maybe the plan is third-party sites like Maxim over at SoRare Data are going to be tracking that on the blockchain. And they're going to be seeing this card hasn't been used in an SO5 competition in 10 weeks. And so there's a little tab on SoRare Data that pulls it out and says like 25% of all of Thomas Suchek's one of a thousands are dead or are mm. dormant. And then managers who are playing in the fantasy game can better account for that when you're going in and setting up, right? Because again, for me, this is all about the fantasy experience. Like I, I look at the other side of it and the management of all of that other work takes away from the platform's ability to focus on delivering a really high quality fantasy game, which again, is like what I care about mm. in this whole process. But I want that information. I want to know, like it's helpful to know if Gary V bought all 10 Joao Felix uh, super rares, because then I know as a player, I'm never competing against him ever at a super rare but level on a strategy level of so5 yeah. then would you build teams based on where you feel because it's something i don't really focus on but i know people allude to it like people will say like if someone has an mbappe the chances are he's been used in under 23s or champion so you're not going to realistically come up against an mbappe in global all-star do you know do you think about that whenever you build lineups? Do you try and put players where maybe they're less likely to be used? Is that something you'd ever consider? Now, you're very yeah. MLS focused, but would I suppose whenever it's MLS, like you are pretty much MLS, isn't it? Which do I play your, your other gallery. formats? Oh, no, my like gallery is largely MLS, yeah, because of when yeah. I came in. Um, yeah. And so I mean, I'm just I wanted to pick your brain because I'm in the process of having to go through my first wave of purchasing European cards and whether or not it's worth spending the money on champions or if I should be focusing on challenger because that's really where my knowledge base is. I mean, just from playing one shot league, from the fact that you know all of the Eredivisie and Jupiler League clubs are on, I, you know, I've spent a lot more time researching that, writing about that than I have, um, you know, looking terribly deeply at the Italian clubs, for example, or what Liverpool's players really do in mm -hmm. SO5. They're just, there's not a lot there for me. Um, but no, I do. I absolutely look at that. And again, it's like not to, you know, keep big upping Maxime and what he's doing with data, but like you can go in and you can see wh which cards are used and what percentage of active lineups have which cards utilized. Mm. And if you're tracking that across weeks, you're going to see the same cards used in the same divisions, in the same tournaments over and over again. And that can give you an idea. Um, I also use it in terms of how I'm trying to price cards out. I have no interest in playing U23s because I'm never going to, I'm not going to use my funds to continue to buy U23 eligible goalkeepers. Mm. I mean, it's just, it's an inefficiency for me that I, I, I can't, it would be an inefficiency for me to have to keep doing that. So when I'm pricing players, if I see someone who is, I think is going to be good in a year or two, but clearly doesn't have U23 utility in the U23 tournament, you know, there may be a 22-year-old player who's averaging 50 points and, and nobody likes him. That person's really high on my to-buy list because all I'm seeing is six more years of that person at, you know, in a different tournament. Um, likewise, 
if someone is a really high performing U23 player, they're never on my to buy list because the greatest utility I can get out of them is playing them in the U23, D4, D3 tournaments. And I'm not ever fielding a, an SO5 side there. So I'm at a disadvantage. Mm. I'm bidding against someone that has an incentive to increase that price. It just shows like we're on such different places. Like I, I have loads of under 23s. Um, I think it's because I've talked about this before. It's about the upside and versus downside in them. But I think the thing for me, you've just said there, and it's actually just given me an idea. I have it in my head that I need to be buying more under 23 goalkeepers. But really what I need to do is probably just buy, like I already have like three or four. I have Safanov, Bodart. I got Gohatano. Um, and I've got, there's definitely another one. Who am I forgetting? Doesn't matter. But like I have... Yeah, like I have more. I have, I think I have like four of them, and I have a, a load of them that are like DMPs. Um, but let's say of those four, like that's more than enough on every week to realistically do D three, D four, under twenty three, and occasionally a D two. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm still here going like, oh, I need to buy more under twenty three goalkeepers. I don't. I've just been an idiot and locked in this for like two weeks now. Realistically, if I just buy another challenger goalkeeper and maybe even an MLS keeper or something just so I can field teams in the All-Star, field teams in Challenger without having to like encroach on that under-23 pool, then my under-23s are fine. Because I tell you what, you see trying to buy an under-23 goalkeeper at the minute, it's absolutely horrendous. It's, it's like, madness. It's mad. I just, um, I just looked at the Russian ones. I'm, I was trying to pull it up right now because um, I just did... Um, I just did a sheet for the, the RPL, and, and you mentioned one of them, right? You have Safanov, the uh, Krasnodar yeah. goalkeeper, is 22. And, I mean, his prices are up around 6 to 7 right now, um, and that's with new cards on the market. If you want to go and buy the uh, – is, uh, is it Dynamo Moscow, um, who have a, a goalkeeper as well that is 23 years old this year? And his cards are all at 0.9 or higher on the secondary market because he doesn't have a new card issued yet. So it's it's a tough one. Mm. Yeah, I think like I just need to stick a plug in that whole under 23 keeper thing because you're, I've just been going at it when really I think if what's killing me is that I'm having to stick Safanov or Bodart or something into a challenger lineup at the minute because none of my challenger keepers are playing so realistically I've just been an absolute idiot um, I just took like literally to talk to someone in that different perspective for me to go oh yeah I've been an idiot for two weeks but um, John what we'll do is we'll cover a couple of the questions we've been given and we'll go from there so the first question I'll ask this week is from F.I. Gardner. I think he asked this recently, and I, I don't think I asked it. Um, he says, he knows SoRare is not considered our class as gambling, but are you at all concerned with change in regulation coming in the UK that this could ever alter? Now, you're obviously in the US. I suppose this is a global thing. Is there a risk that at some stage in some country this this whole global thing is, is thrown out the window because someone introduces some sort of gambling regulation around so rare. Yeah. You know, I wonder, it's a good question. And I, my background is not um, in that area. I will say with the platform that I worked on, there were some areas, uh, excuse me, some territories or countries we could not operate in uh, because we were viewed as gambling uh, as a fantasy platform. I'm not sure what the impact of the $0 entry fee has and if that will Mm. matter. But I will say I'm also very curious to see the way in which different countries 
and territories choose to or choose to ignore regulating NFTs as securities. And I think there's going to be an interesting argument to be made there about whether or not a an NFT Mbappe card is more similar to owning a stock or if it's more similar to owning a cardboard Mbappe card. And I think that conversation is going to be happening in parallel with the gambling conversation. Mm. It's very messy. Like I, what am I trying to say here? I suppose bottom line is, um, disclaimer, I haven't a clue. Joe, this again <laughs> is not my area of expertise, but for me and the money I've got in there, I think, I, I think the whole NFT buzz, I think SoRare is a platform. I think everything about it, I just think it's too good for some bullshit fucking restriction or regulation to, sh- to screw it all because I don't really think it is. I don't view it as gambling. I've been on many gambling platforms and there is definitely a gambling aspect and I see why it would attract gamblers. But you can also play this very much for fun. And I think with the lower scarcities coming in, and I think if they can bring in some sort of free-to-play model, oh, fuck, what am I even saying? Yeah, they're probably... <laughs> I mean, do, I mean I, if, if, is your, if, I is your argument, though, that the game... Let, let me ask you this. Do you consider SoRare a free-to-play game? Hmm. Would I still want my cards if they took away the game? Exactly. Probably not. I know the answer for me is unequivocally not. I mean, I, I think yeah, I no, no. Do you know what? Yeah, definitely not. Uh, no, I can see the collector value when you see crypto punks and whatever going for millions. I can see the value in an Mbappe. I can see the value in. Holland when he comes around a bunch of the American players all the collectible players I can see the value there but like 90 99% of the platform players in the platform would be essentially worthless and it wouldn't be as engaging what I love about so rare is the the fantasy game do you know why I play it for the fantasy this is we've gone down a hole here in terms of the gambling <laughs> regulation I think the bottom line for me is on that is that is it a risk if you talk to the so rare team it's not a concern if it's something that concerns you don't gamble what you can't afford to lose and I think that's what everyone needs to do don't have money in sewer that you can't afford to lose full stop for whatever reasons in terms of gambling regulations I think I have faith in the rare team and what they're trying to build with the backing they have behind them to be able to circumnavigate any such issues in the future the bottom line is you can't know for sure because there are definitely similarities to gambling and you can there definitely are problem gamblers on the site. I don't think yeah. anyone could is, there is has the to concern, be. Is the concern is the is the concern in the question that gambling regulations will fundamentally alter the experience on so rare? Is it yeah, the question? I, th- I think it's that I think it's that they'll come in and all of a sudden you can no longer do it because the SO5 game can't work because that makes it gambling. I don't know. But basically, the question is, like, are gambling regulations going to come in and fuck the platform? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not worried about that happening like, at mm. all. Like, am I going to have to validate for someone that I'm over 18? Or are they going to have to jump through a bunch of hoops to get registered to be a, a legal gaming platform in the territory where I live or whatever? I mean, maybe. But I honestly, I, I see them doing that. Um, I think the the stronger or maybe like the less the less concerning aspect for me is that the gaming a- aspect of it 
would ruin the game. Um, I think for me, the more concerning thing is that because of regulation, they would alter the way in which they're structuring tournaments or some other thing that, that changes the relationship with the user. Like, and I'm not sure if I'm articulating exactly what I'm trying to say, right? But like, at this point, so rare, I mean, it's proved. Like, why would they ever give up? Why would they ever give up the company? Why would they ever give up that opportunity to continue moving forward on that, right? Like, for me, the question isn't if it's gambling and in gambling, you can lose money. Because if it's collectibles, in collectibles, you can lose money, right? Like, no one, mm. <laughs> no one can see. tell you, right? Like, I mean, who cares if I'm spending $1,000 on an Mbappe card on Sora or $1,000 on an Mbappe card on cardboard? They both have the same ability to go up or down in value. I could lose 100% of my money over here, 100% of my money over here. It doesn't matter. So, like, that doesn't bother. I, I don't know, man. Like, this, that one... It's hairy. No, but we, we've kind of descended into is it gambling or is it not, right? <laughs> but what I think, and I've said this before, I've said that I think in many ways, and I talked about this with the guys at Soccer Cards United, Jason and Enzo, because um, I do collect a bunch of soccer cards. I think, like, in America, am I right in saying, other than, like, certain states like Nevada and wherever else, gambling on sports is pretty much, like, doesn't happen. It's illegal, is it? So it's been growing a lot lately. and It's, it's like growing a lot. Yeah, the state where I live now has three sports books in it. And when I was growing up here, no, like you could place an an illegal bet, but there were no books. And it's still not to the place of, you know, it's not to like the UK, to England, where you could walk into like a William Hill on like every corner or whatnot. Yeah. But I can also, most of that stuff happens online now. And since there's Mm. three physical sports books in the state where I live or four or whatever it is, I can now place an online wager on basically anything I want. So I think that within like the the sports card, the hobby over the years, it's almost been like an outlet of gambling on sports for many people where you're prospecting, where you're looking at who's going to have a good season, where you're flipping cards, where you're doing this. And I think if you buy a box of the, is it the 86 Fleer or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. or the Michael Jordan, I don't know if he's definitely in that or he might be in it. I don't know if he's in every box, but even at that, you're gambling on the condition of that card. Is it a, is it a 10 or is it a nine? Do you know? Ripping boxes of cards is almost gambling in itself, but that's completely unregulated. And how do you regulate that? So you're right, it is that discussion about are these collectibles or is this... Ah, fuck me, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I've broken you know, me. You- this, this podcast has broken me. Oh, I'll come back on when you're rested one day. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get super Jesus. nervous. We'll do, we'll do a clubhouse just on this. And we'll <laughs> yeah. everybody up. Um, it, it is. It's... I... I don't worry about it except for mm. the adverse impact it could have on the relationship between the users and the platform and the adverse impact it could have on the perception of the product limiting growth. I think those are the mm. two bigger concerns and the ones that are more likely to happen than any other adverse impact as a result of gambling regulations coming in. Yeah, if, if a gambling regulation happened, the thing that would worry me is licensing agreements with clubs because they wouldn't want to be licensed or partner up with any sort of gambling companies. Well, some of them imagine. also have pre-existing agreements with gambling companies, particularly shirt sponsors, which may limit their yeah. ability to be sponsored as well, or excuse me, to be licensed as well. Mm. Anyway, look, we move on from that. <laughs> Bottom line is, look, there might be something in it. Do you know, the So Rare team are always going to say, no, it's not a concern of ours, because they're, ne- they're never going to say it is a concern. But I don't think anyone can ever say it could never become an issue. But is it something that worries me at the minute? No. 
personally, but maybe I'm naive. Um, I'd be interested to see what. Other, no, would I? I don't even know if I'm interested in all the people. I have to think about that. That, that that's going to be in the weeds. That stuff like that's going to be. That's going to be a lot of hearsay and speculation. Um, Everton DC has asked, "Am I on my own in thinking MLS PA cards look crap and would be much more attractive, interesting, and collectible with the club kit visible?" You're not alone. I think they look shite, and it kind of puts me off the way. Like I, as a guy who doesn't follow the MLS but likes MLS players in my gallery for either collectability and or the rest. So five ability. I don't have a clue who half these guys play against <laughs> or play for. I don't know who these little white symbols are, and I don't know. Like, yeah, it kind of shafts me, but that's just laziness because I could very easily go on to Flash Score or Google and work it out. But yeah, they do look a bit crap. I mean, you don't like the giant orange square that occupies the bottom half of the car. <laughs> No, man. You know, you have to feel bad for them because the design team goes out and does like this beautiful layout. They do all this wonderful work. They add a lot of depth. They add a lot of uh, really interesting uh, light and and particularly on some of the champion edition cards, things like that. And then MLSPA is not the owner of any of the club badges and none of the clubs have license agreements with SoRare. So none of them are going to appear there. It's just heads. It's just heads. I mean, I guess you could make, so if Sora ever got big enough, they could give them custom kits and let them, mm. you know, send their own photographer and things. But my understanding is Sora is at the mercy of club media days to be taking the photos and sending to them in a format that they can then utilize for the card issues. I don't think Sora is, is sending anyone to take those photos um, for them the same way a Fleer or a Tops, a Donruss, an Upper Deck. On their media day, they do send their own photographers and, and then they have their own images to utilize. Yeah, I think it's one of those that it is what it is, but I do think I think the MLS cards, they do look a bit shite. Yeah. But, um, and I think they're significantly less... Well, are they significantly... Is it, Yeah, they would be significantly less collectible because of the lack of club ties and and kits and I think the nostalgia over the years like I think a big thing of this could be over the years as we look back at players and go like oh my god you remember that Juventus kit oh my god you remember that Liverpool kit it was a cracker like as we look back at the kits from 08 and certain Manchester United kits and whatever or people love collecting old kits now you, you lose that with these cards but I think that's a long term problem not a short term problem well I think um, you've also talked about this and, and we probably don't have time today to delve too far into it but you and I have talked at least on, on Twitter and, and maybe uh, elsewhere about how they're going to evolve so rare cards and what it really means to be on the blockchain and to have that uh, ability to really make these very unique almost interactive things and certainly a, a 360 degree 3d rendering of a club kit from that season would be a really cool thing to be on the quote-unquote back of the card right mm -hmm. where you would normally turn over a regular sports card and find your stats your achievements your your trophies right all of that at some point if they had the licensing agreements and they could use the world cup trophy silhouette if they could use the champions league trophy silhouette the europa league all the clubs you would see i think a lot more integration with all of that onto cards and that would help increase the collectability and in some ways to get back to our last question would help drive some of the narrative away from the fact that this is a gambling site and really be able to put a, a brighter spotlight on the collectability the uniqueness of them as uh, as sports collectibles i think that's a very nice thing to kind of end on there well it's not what we're completely ending on but i think you're, <laughs> you're right that that kind of focus on collectibles could be 
a large, a lar- like a huge kind of barrier, stumbling block, whatever it is, like a thing to kind of block off those ga- that gambling talk, do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like another thing that I didn't mention when we talked about the gambling thing is maybe giving out ETH, which we all want, bringing the money into it is maybe could be an issue down the line, but they'll always be able to give out more cards. But then what are the cards worth if you can only win more cards? They need to be pretty fucking collectible, would they? So really doubling down that collectability is the big thing. Um, I think. Right, John, very quick one before you go. Uh, just a big shout out first off to the winner of the first ever one thirty seven pm game. It was Techers with a score of 131. His strategy worked out and he's going to win some so rare merch when it lands into my hands, which I don't know when it'll be. Um, and some one thirty seven pm merch as well. So I'll be on to Techers to get his details. And we're into August now, so you're going to be competing against the guests from this month. John, right. I want you to pick two players from that upcoming game week that we discussed uh, very briefly, 190. So pick two players, and we'll see what they score, and you have to hit 137. So not over 137. I have to hit exactly 137. You're aiming for 137. Oh, yeah. man. There's a, a lot of prices right rules here. I can't go over. You know, I want to make no, sure I land well, like, in the Some people... I think the worst score was like in the 20s. Someone, I think Mel scored like 183 or something. All right. Um, but yeah, the strategy, the meta, I'll not tell you the meta. I'll let you, you go for it your way. All right. I am going to take, uh, let me double check and make sure that they actually have a match this upcoming week because in MLS, uh, there is an odd number of teams. And so mm. not every team has a match every week, even if there's a full <laughs> slate, because why would MLS make anything simple? But yeah. yeah. Okay. So Orlando <laughs> City is playing against Cincinnati. I will take uh, soon to be Scottish Premiership player, Chris Mueller, uh, who is an Orlando City forward. I will take him as one of my two players. Mm. I think he's good for, uh, I think he's good for maybe a goal and assist and uh, three all around points. So I'm going to put him in for a 73. And that means I need a, a 64 in here. No, 137, right? Yeah, so I need a 64. Yeah. All right. Give me, uh, I want somebody nice and stable from the Jupiler League. So how Ooh. about a Steph Peters? Steph Peters. Is that good? Chris Mueller and Steph Peters? Yeah, looks good to me. Right. I wish you the best of luck with that. And uh, you'll have to listen in. Well, I'm sure you can track it, but I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll, if you're shit, I'll definitely call you out next week on the podcast. <laughs> but, John, look, before you go, do you want to plug anything or let people know where they can find you? I was thinking that newsletter in particular needs a good shout out. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm at Fantasy Gaffer on Twitter. You can go find me uh, there. Um, and I write two different newsletters. The one that you're talking about, John, is I wrote uh, So Rare Daily, which is a Substack. So it's soraredaily.substack.com. Um, you want to go and sign up because every Monday's issue comes out. It's free for everyone. Uh, the platform have been kind enough to retweet that for me a couple of times. You've been, uh, Quinny's been, uh, Hibby. So I really appreciate uh, people in the community retweeting that one, especially the Monday link, because that's free for everyone. There's a subscription side there. Uh, you can sign up for a month or a year. And um, We've just passed, uh, last Friday, we just passed the 100th issue. So it's been going strong. Uh, there have been about 120 in total, but only 100 of the uh, of the formal issue. I try and put some bonus stuff out too. And then uh, for people, I know you're a longtime Fantasy Premier League player, as am I. Uh, I also write uh, a draft guide every summer. So if you head over to fantasygaffer.substack.com, you can get all of my um, FPL, FPL draft, whether you're playing on the official game, whether you're playing on someplace like Fantrax or, or Draft Fantasy. 
Uh, it's a bunch of ranks and cheat sheets, um, position ranks, mock drafts, tools, all that kind of fun stuff uh, that you'd find in kind of any uh, preseason draft guide. You just reminded me to plug myself as well. FPL <laughs> is back, baby, on this Friday. So the day this goes out, Friday the 6th, I think, I'll be streaming on the Fantasy Football Hub uh, YouTube channel, just talking preseason and, and doing my first draft and whatever else. So, yeah, FPL's back. So Rare's coming back. It's an exciting time. So, look, John, it was an absolute pleasure chatting to you, and hopefully I'll have you on again down the line if you're up for it. Anytime, John, man. It's, uh, it's always great chatting with you, whether we are recording or not. So looking forward to it in the future. Good man. Cheers, John. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Make sure you check us both out on Twitter, uh, Fantasy Gaffer and John Nellis, and let us know what you thought. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening and leave a review if you haven't already on Apple. Uh, next week's guest is going to be a good one. The return of European football, there's a lot of football to talk about. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye.